0: Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. And those of you joining us online, good morning to you. We are in the book of Acts this morning, chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, I'll give you a moment to turn there. We'll take verses 26 through 40. it takes take about 2 minutes and 13 seconds, if uh, reading goes well. As we were singing, Lord, I need you, I just want to alert our youth, our teens... You may not sense the need for Christ yet. You will. Stick around. Would you stand for the reading of God's word, please? Beginning at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went... And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake his chariot. So Philip ran to him heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does, this, does the prophet say this? <clears throat> of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and, beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. So that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found in Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Please be seated. Placed to preach. Well, we've been going through this eighth chapter, and one of the dominant thoughts that came out at least for me and the message that was entitled persecuted to preach then last session in this eighth chapter it was power to preach and now he is placed to preach this particular servant of god philip and uh, it just kind of flows as i a christian i want to reach lost souls i don't want to be persecuted to preach but if i am persecuted still going to preach And there is a mild persecution taking place now in this country. And so we are still persecuted to preach. Nonetheless, don't let it shut you up. This book of Acts centers on doing for the kingdom of God and the salvation of souls. That's that's what it's going to focus on throughout. It is not a patch-me-up kind of a book. It is a use-me-up kind of a book. It is about living life while serving God. And that has to do with preaching the gospel. In this book, we come across Christians and non-Christians alike who have people problems, just like me. But the Christians are still working for Christ nonetheless, in spite of the problems. We look now at that 26th verse again. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south, Along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, this is desert. Well, here it is an angel speaking to this servant, Philip. Angels are created beings. In Ezekiel 28, God, the prophet, God speaking to the prophet about angels, says, you were the anointed cherub, created. You were created. And so let's not um, suppose that they are Self existent. They are created beings, Satan being one of them. Satan is not the opposite of God. Satan is a created being used by God, and uh, his end is sealed. He is doomed. But until the day of execution of his sentence, he makes havoc of everything. So, here um, again in verse 26 of the seven leaders appointed in chapter 7. Two have an outstanding fame attached to them, Stephen and Philip. Stephen's death caused the Christians to scatter, and in so doing, they spread Christianity. His death caused Christianity to scatter, and in so doing, Christianity spread throughout the region. Philip, his life, not his death, his life caused unbelievers to hear the gospel, And then further spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. You read this book as a believer and you want this. You you want this action. You want this power to preach. You want to see souls coming to Christ. It's very difficult. It's impossible to find out who God has been working on and and to lead them to, to salvation until God reveals them. And that is the lesson we're getting out of this section. Philip, incidentally, preached amongst people who otherwise were avoided by his fellow Christian Jews not intentionally it was just a matter of the culture none of the few of the Jews thought to go to samaria few of them would have been picked and called to go to an ethiopian eunuch they stayed within their communities that will come out later as we go through the book of acts and that's an interesting feature that in this man was what god needed to send him anywhere that he wanted to send him. Stephen is a type of the church at Smyrna. There in Revelation chapter 2. Faithful unto death, Jesus said to that church, and that was Stephen. Philip is a type of the church at Philadelphia. To that church, Jesus said, I have set before you an open door. Well, sometimes we Christians today fall into the, the category of Stephen. And we become martyrs. We suffer or die for the gospel. Or we can be like Philip, where the Lord sets before us an open door. and We are faithful to the word of God. These interesting comparisons and parallels, the allegory that belongs to these lessons, they are to make us better. We have the Christian language, you know, for the edification of the body of Christ. Well, that means to make it better, to make the body of Christ better at doing work for Christ. Stephen was a full man, we're told in the scriptures, but Philip is a busy man, not a busy body. And we will see him preaching his way all the way up to Caesarea, over 70 miles of just preaching wherever he went. Because when you lead somebody to Christ, you know, it's like, I want another I'll have another, Lord. Send me to another. It is the excitement that goes with this. I don't know how many years you've been in Christianity, but you may come to a point where you're not excited, not as you used to be. Maybe a little disillusioned. You need to fight that. You need to take it back. Don't stand for your flesh shoving you around without resistance, without standing up to it and getting stale and needing to be refreshed, part of the Christian experience. Don't be surprised. Don't think God has walked away from you. Just deal with it. And if you do deal with it, you will reap the rewards. Stephen did not get to live long enough to act out his Christianity in his older years, but Philip did. And we'll catch up with him again Uh, in in the latter chapters of Acts, and there he is still being an influence for the Lord. It says here in verse 26, saying, this is what the uh, angel said to Philip, Arise, go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Well, remember the Ethiopian, he had gone to the temple to worship. He's coming back home now to Ethiopia. And uh, this is a, a main road. He reminds us, of Elijah being repeatedly sent to Ahab and to Ahaziah, you know, go to Ahab and tell him. And well, we're seeing some of that here with Philip. This uh, angel who's a messenger of God, he cannot give the gospel, but Philip can. Of all the men in Israel, Philip gets to call to minister to the Samaritans, to the Ethiopians, as I mentioned a few minutes ago. And At this point, this is all he knew. Arise and go down to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. That's all the information he got. He had to trust God and go by faith before he got step two. Moses, when Pharaoh was telling Moses the conditions, well, Pharaoh was saying, well, if you're going to go to the wilderness, you've got to leave your livestock behind. And Moses said, our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. You gotta love Moses. He's just so articulate, there is he not? Not a hoof shall be left behind. You parents, when you take all your kids in the car, you can say that. All of you in the car. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take some. Don't. I hope there's nobody real sensitive. You know, <laughs> it's like too bad if you are. Be lighten up. Anyhow, for we must take some of them to serve Yahweh our God. And even we do not know with what we must serve Yahweh until we arrive there. And so there is another indication of God's faithful servant being instructed what to do, but not getting all the information, just stepping out in faith based on his initial leading and I think a lot of churches, a lot of Christians avoid the book of Acts because they don't like the concept of being led. They feel like they're smart enough to figure everything out on their own. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with that. But I know this. In, in the book of Acts, uh, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God, said Paul to the Roman church. Again, I can't find lost souls on my own. I'm, I, I, I'm supposed to be ready when the Lord brings me in front of one. God must send me, and that lesson's flying off the page, and it comes in steps in this case. This leading of the Holy Spirit and his permission, this reoccurring theme in the book of Acts. Peter was told by an angel to go stand in the porch of the temple and preach the word, the words of life. Philip here is told to go to Gaza. Peter later will be told by the Spirit to go to the house of Cornelius. There will be others involved in getting Peter there, those uh, men from Joppa, anyway, uh, the leaders of the church in Antioch will be told by the Holy Spirit to separate Paul and Barnabas for the work of ministry. And then Paul and Silas, they will be forbidden to go to Asia and Bithynia with the gospel. Can you imagine telling a Christian today, you can't go there to preach the gospel. Are, oh, you're not going to preach the word of God. Oh, you tell me. So here's Paul and Silas. They wanted to go into Asia and the Holy Spirit made it clear that's not what they were to do. No. So, okay, we'll go to Bithynia. No, can't go there either. Well, what does that leave? Manhattan. Restaurants are there. Anyway. Psalm 37 verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by Yahweh and he delights in his way. So as a Christian, get used, get used to being led and not moving until you are. I mean, there are some times it's obvious, I mean, it's just clear, but there are other times it's just that I have no leading to do this. And I want to remind you, when you begin to live that way, you will offend fellow Christians. What could be wrong? Why won't you do this? Pastor, we want you to do this. I had no leading to do that. Well, what could be wrong with this? I mean, it's a, it's a beetle-feeding ministry. We've got to feed the beetles. And it's just a, such a godly thing. Anyway, this is desert, <laughs> he told right out. Uh, Philip would have known that. No boundaries on preaching the gospel, however. There are barriers. There is timing and restrictions of the Spirit, as just mentioned. And there is preparation. Uh, what good would it have done if Philip got there but didn't know what to say, couldn't answer the questions? Who does this man speak about, himself or somebody else? What if he said, I don't know. Philip was in this great movement there in Samaria, and he's redirected elsewhere. What a flexible spirit that is. And so, the desert, the desert where Life is both scarce and struggling. He is to go to this Gentile caravan and be ready for instructions. Human reason would have balked. It would have said, wait, look what's happening in Samaria. People are getting saved here, the Samaritans. He wants me to go to the desert. So he leaves the 99 for the 1. That principle is employed here. Not always, but it is here. God will send us to places where we would otherwise not go. But he can only do that if he finds a willing heart. Verse 27, so he arose and went, there's that willing heart, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch, great authority under Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who had charge over her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. Well, I remember earlier in this chapter in Samaria, Simon the sorcerer, or magician really, sought to have God work for him out of ignorance. Philip is here seeking to work for God. So he arose and he went. And uh, behold, a man of Ethiopia, another Gentile that is being brought to Christ. Now, there, have, there were other Gentiles. Uh, Nicholas, we read about him in chapter 6 a proselyte of Antioch, uh, likely from that region. Well, from Antioch, it's in Syria. But here, this is an African, this Ethiopian man that is being uh, pursued by this servant of God. At this time in history, Ethiopia's northern border uh, touched the southern border of Egypt. Uh, Today, the Sudan is there, and you've got to go further south to get to Ethiopia. The Candace is a title like Pharaoh or Caesar. That's not her name. She's probably uh, coming from the region of Khartoum, which is not Khartoum. That would be all, folks. Uh, But uh, this is is, uh, in the Sudan uh, today, about 300 miles away. And a hard ride too. This is not any little rest, you know rest stops on the way and things like that. This is um, a large caravan, soldiers and servants, and those who are hitchhiking along. Could be a hundred people in this. This chariot he's in is large enough for, to have seats. Not all chariots are just you know two wheels. Some of them were four wheelers. Some of them were large two wheelers. But anyway, it's a sizable. Uh, chariot. And uh, this Ethiopian is a convert to Judaism. So he's looking for God. That's why he was in Jerusalem, uh, like like Nicholas. Although as a eunuch of great authority, uh, then he's a big shot. He's not a little position. He's a Gentile and he's a eunuch. That's really not uh, going to go well for him. He's going to really look down upon when he gets to Jerusalem. Well, that now he's come, returning. But eunuchs were denied full access to the Jewish temple, but they were never denied full access into the kingdom of heaven. And Isaiah makes that clear. And he seems to accept accepted his position in life without bitterness. Romans chapter 8, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. And so there we, we have what the law could not do. The law could not really bring this eunuch into the temple. But the grace of God brings him all the way into a relationship with Christ. Uh, the one preacher said, when very good preacher said, not me. I know when I say a very good preacher, you immediately think of me uh, because of my humility. But anyway, uh, God does not love populations, but people, not masses, but men. I agree with that. I mean, he loves the individuals, not the groups. Although groups are made of individuals. He can love a, a group of them at one time. But God singles us out. This Ethiopian is singled out. So when you are leading someone to Christ, you know that God singled them out long before you got there. Even from the foundations of the earth. Romans 3:23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This was a trustworthy man. His position in a pagan government did not stop God from reaching him. And God knew he was ready because the Spirit was working in him, and that's the only way people come to Christ. Verse 28, he was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Verse 29, then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake his chariot. Well, no one stumbles into salvation. Even if they think they do, they do not. God is the author and the finisher of our faith. He not only designs it, but he he follows it through to the the kingdom of heaven, to when we are in heaven. Philip is told to share Jesus, and uh, Christ is already at work in the man's heart. Jesus said this, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. And that is true to this day. God wants all people saved, but they're not all going to get saved. And yet, this is what the Lord wants. All can get saved who want to. 1 Timothy, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2, 4. Here in verse 29, then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake. In verse 26, remember, it was the angel. Now it's the Holy Spirit. That's how this is unfolding for us. Go near and overtake his chariot. Uh, I mentioned that this is a sizable chariot, probably a Um, four-wheeler. Specific and clear instructions. Catch up and join up with this person in the chariot. I think Philip knew when he saw the caravan who these folks were. I think he knew that these were Ethiopians headed to Ethiopia. Uh, Not a factor for him, Verse 30, so Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? Uh, you got to look at that zeal. He's excited. He's acting on orders. He knows where he belongs, like Elisha knew he belonged with Elijah. He's excited. So Philip ran to him. When those things are in the scripture like this and your eye catches them, it's intentional. The author and finisher of your faith is Working in your life, saying something to you to get you to be better, to get me to be better at what we do as Christians. And so uh, here, Philip, not only had he made a pledge of allegiance to God, he is acting on his pledge. And, you know, that's a big thing. Later, Paul's going to write to the Corinthians. You know, you pledged to help. Don't embarrass me. Don't do this. This is your opportunity to act upon what you said you would do. And uh, they did. Well, this uh, Bible of ours, because we read here in verse 30, and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. Well, the Bible is the road of knowledge to God. Of course, that road is loaded with robbers. We've got to be careful of that. Uh, you know, you, you, you go to send our Christian children off to universities, and they hear the professor's begin to coin phrases as though they created light. And if the child is not ready for this, you're going to get sucked in. If this is a, just going along with the story, if you got a, 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 a non-believing uh, professor, and he's saying, well, this is called so-and-so when people do this. And the, the child is like, wow, that's interesting. There's a name for this. Like, shut up. So what is a name for it? Is there a solution for it? it so we're just... One of these phrases, and look this one up, if you'd like. and See how goofy it is that they've come up with. Microaggression. What is that? Is it so teeny, the aggression, that you can't see it? So this is not aggression, is it? And it's like you can't win. micro. You, you agree with me, but you really don't. And so they come up with these phrases, they coin these things, and and people are supposed to be impressed. Wow, they're pretty deep. They put a name on a behavior. I should listen to everything this person says. And they forget all about their Christianity, and they start drinking the Kool-Aid. And the next thing you know, they're atheists. Or doubting the faith. Instead of standing up and saying things like, what? Where'd you get that? We just made it up? You and your... Buddy's just made this up. I know, you can't do that when you're 17, 18 like that. But at my age, you certainly can. And you can. Anyway, I feel myself getting in the flesh. I don't know if it shows, but inside? Anyway, coming back to these things, Jesus said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. All about Christ is the Old Testament and the New. The Bible is about Jesus Christ. And those robbers on the road have been sent by Satan to try to... You know, John Wesley said, beware of the reasonable devil. Where he tries to act like he's real smart and he's figured things out. And again, he's named things, so therefore he must know what he's talking about. Watch out for those guys. Not a better Old Testament verse about... Jesus Christ, than this one, in all the Old Testament, not a better one. This passage is about the suffering Savior, one of the greatest Messianic predictions in the Scripture, Isaiah fifty-three. It's just the only person in history this could fit is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And again, the New Testament is being developed. There are a few apostolic writings in circulation at this point. The Old Testament was it. And it was a re, sort of a, uh, an updated version. They were using the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. Uh, this Ethiopian is serious in his search for God. But he needs help. And it's important to understand. He, God says, needs help. And so Philip was called to help. When you are called to help on a serious thing, you get stronger. It, it makes you strong, you, you, that you're needed, that there's a need here, and you can be part of that solution. I don't mean when somebody's calling you to do things they should be doing. That, that can be annoying. But when you know that you are a critical factor in what's going on, it makes you stronger. It said to him, do you understand what you're reading? Now, he doesn't take this as being impolite or intrusive. Imagine if you're sitting in a coffee shop somewhere, reading your Bible, and somebody says, do you have any idea what you're reading? I mean, you might be a little offended. But Philip knew that's what he was called to do, verse 31. And he said, how can I, the Ethiopian speaking, unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. You love this guy. I mean, in his position, it said he has great authority. And he doesn't look down on this guy that comes running up to his, his chariot. He's not arrogant. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Well, we're seeing that acted out here. He has a teachable spirit. You know who else had a teachable spirit? Esther. Uh, one of the adorable things about Esther, you know, what stands out is usually her beauty. Now, let's see. After Nehemiah comes the book of Esther, and there in chapter 2, she was uh, teachable to two people primarily, Mordecai and uh, Hegai, who was over the eunuchs. And so I want to take two verses from the book of Esther, chapter 2, verse 15. You don't have to be a know-it-all in life. In fact, if you're open like this guy, you get filled up, and you begin to know things you otherwise would not have captured. Who likes a know-it-all? Show of hands. Hopefully, if I said, who doesn't like one, everybody would two hands up. Uh, verse 15, Esther chapter 2. Now, when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abahel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter to go into the king, she requested nothing but what Higgai, the king's eunuch, the custodian of the women, advised, and Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. So here she is in the harem, and she gets the advice from the eunuch in charge of the, the women there, and says, you know, you should wear this. You look good in this. Don't wear that. That's tacky. And, and she is like, okay, whatever you say. And then, uh, we come to verse 20. Now, Esther had not revealed her family and her people just as Mordecai had charged her. For Esther obeyed the command of Mordecai as when she was brought up by him. So she's a young woman now. And she doesn't think, I'm, I'm old. I'm, I got it. I don't need you anymore, Mordecai. And these things stand out about her character. Uh, her beauty was more than skin deep. It was in Her personality. No one else on earth has caught this but me. And um, that's because I am humble. And when you're humble like me, God gives you special things. I know. It's stupid. And it's meant to be to draw attention to anyone who just thinks that there's safety and arrogance. There's not. I don't know why arrogant people are arrogant except to say that sin is doing its thing on them. We don't have to be that way. So here, this Ethiopian man, he has a willing spirit, a teachable spirit. Psalm 69, verse 2, The humble shall see this and be glad, and you who seek God, your hearts shall live. And so the Ethiopian doesn't say to Philip, Have you been to seminary? He just wants to know, Have you been in the Word of God? That's good enough for him. He doesn't make this complicated, as we tend to do. Uh, there, you know, there's nothing wrong with digging deep and going deeper. There's something wrong when when you begin to make that the normal for everybody else, and you go so deep that you've lost your your way. Verse 32, the place in the scripture which he read was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, So he opened not his mouth. Uh, This, the word of God, along with the servant of God, equals salvation. That's the formula. And here the scripture, faith comes by hearing, hearing with the word of God. Here is the word of God. But Jesus didn't go to, to the cross dragged as a victim. He engineered the whole thing. The author and finisher of our faith. He went in submission and he was eager. How I wish it was here, he said to his disciples before he was arrested. He goes without protest. What if he opened his mouth in protest? Revelation 19.21, speaking of Jesus. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. (laughs) That's what could have happened. Uh, this is a, to Antichrist and his armies that's what this is uh, speaking about the forces of Antichrist um, yeah if he, he could have called twelve legions of angels or he could just did it himself verse thirty three in his humiliation still reading from Isaiah, his justice was taken away and who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. Well in his humiliation and the Son of God, if he can give us you, so Christ says, I want you to do what I'm doing. I'm washing the feet, your feet. I want you to do this to each other. We have no problem washing the feet of Jesus. He said, Peter, though, I don't know if I want to wash his feet. The person in the pew next to me, don't look. I don't, you know, I, I don't know if I'm ready to do this. Well, this is the thing that Christ calls us to do. And when you start disobeying those kind of commandments, you start disobeying other kind of commandments a lot faster uh, than what you should. you shouldn't have disobeyed any, but then it becomes easier, is my, my point. So here, the Lord Jesus, in his humiliation, there was no justice. It says his justice was taken away, meaning there was no justice at his trial. It was a kangaroo court. His life was taken away because he was the substitutionary sacrifice. He died in my place as me on my cross. That is the substitution, like the lamb in, in, uh, out of Egypt, the blood of the lamb was put on the doorpost of the house. And uh, his, his, who will declare his generation? Well, he had no children. He was cut off, and his, his, we would have not have because he was, his ministry was not in that direction. But um, this is uh, clearly uh, a reference that uh, there was no generation. They, they killed him. So Isaiah adds in this section, which is not here, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. And we are his people, incidentally. Verse 34, in other words, the Jews, yes, and then beyond, as we're seeing in the book of Acts. Verse 34, so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Again, no attempt to cover his ignorance, like, oh, I knew that, or I should know that. No, he's learning. I don't know. Well, who's this guy talking about? Now, the Ethiopian more than likely heard the rabbis diver- debate this verse, because it was a verse that they did debate. Some believed that the slaughtered uh, sheep here, the lamb, represented Israel. But it, that really is a stretch. It does not fit. It's too much person, uh personification that belongs to the the, the character in Isaiah 53. Others thought Isaiah spoke of himself, and certainly he couldn't come close to what Isaiah 53 talks about. Others knew this to be Messiah, that Isaiah was talking about the Messiah, the Christ. The Hebrew word Messiah in the Greek is Christ. And uh, this is, of course, what Philip is going to tell him. Uh, We're not getting everything Philip told him. We know that just by the, the events that take place. In verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth. <laughs> the Lord did not open his mouth on the way to the sacrifice, but Philip's going to open his mouth to preach because the door is open. And beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Remember Christ on the road uh, to Emmaus? He opened the scriptures uh, he, that, all about himself. He, he, he gave them the scripture and where he was. And here we see Philip Beginning at this verse, Ephesians chapter 3, Paul said that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You know, when you're struggling in life all the time, you don't see those riches of Christ as so wonderful. You just want relief. And God is saying, I need you to do both at the same time. I need you to suffer and serve at the same time. That's what it takes if you're not suffering, good. Serve. If you are suffering, serve. In season, out of season. All the time. Colossians 1.28. We just read this one, but I like it a lot. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. How many churches out there are not preaching Christ, but call themselves churches still? We're prohibited from slapping them and things like that. Because the flesh, the flesh says, ooh, ooh, I know what to do. And the Spirit says, no, you don't. We, we don't do that. We, we focus on the field. You know, a liberating thing for an individual Christian is to focus on the field you've been given, to plow the field you have, to take the lot that you have been assigned. Remember the tribes of Israel? Each tribe was assigned a lot, not a bunch, uh, but a lot. So uh, you got to, you know, some signs. You know, you've heard me say this before. You you see signs of say "a lot for sale" and there's nothing there, and they're lying to you. There's another one that's kind of irritating because who wants to hear something? Tell me something I don't know. Fireworks. I know that. Every July they go around saying this. (laughs) All right, that's a laughter moment. Back to work. Included in what Peter, uh, what Philip told us, Ethiopian is water baptism, which is unique to Christianity. The, the Jews had their their mikvahs, the the baths, but they were for cleansing. They didn't bear the symbolism of the water baptism. Go into all the world, Jesus said, and make disciples, make students of the word, because it's more than just to, you don't just convert them. You, they need more of all nations. Philip is engaged in this. And Jesus said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, they were t- commanded to do this, and therefore, we are commanded to have this done to us. And since the next verse tells us that the eunuch sought baptism, verse 36, now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Well, he didn't just picked that out of a rabbit's hat, Philip had to tell him about this. Obviously, Philip made it clear that a public confession was was part of Christianity. Remember, this is a large caravan. could be a hundred people in this caravan. And he says, "What, what hinders me from being baptized? Well, I'll tell you. Impenitence. Refusal to admit that you are a sinner before God, that you've broke his law, that you are doomed in your sin because you have violated God's word. If you refuse to repent, to admit that, then baptism's not for you. If you reject that Jesus died for your sins, for all sinners, and that he alone is the savior of souls, and no man goes to the father except through him, then you can't be baptized. Baptized. Imagine someone, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's my Lord and Savior. And then you say, do you believe there are any other saviors?" Yeah, well, I think there's some other ways. Well, you're not getting baptized. No baptism. <laughs> Refusing to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, I believe I'm a sinner and Jesus died for me. Do you believe he died and rose again as the scripture says? And if you say no, then, uh, then you don't get baptized. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Now this verse. If you are leading someone to Christ, you don't know what else to say. Open your Bible and read this verse out loud to them. It's legal. And even if it isn't, it's necessary. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There's our template. Refusing. The deity and lordship of Christ over your life—that will be just a reason to not grant water baptism. Uh, that salvation must be earned, or can be earned, and not as opposed to received. That would be no. You, we're not baptizing you on the on the. If you don't understand that, you you don't earn salvation. You receive it. It's the price has been paid by the blood of Christ. Incidentally, the word translated here, baptized, in the Greek, which is the language of the New Testament, means immersed. It doesn't mean sprinkled. Now, there are times where sprinkling is acceptable. A deathbed confession. You know, the person can't get up. Oh, we got to get you to some water. No, you can symbolically do it there. That would be fair. Someone too sick to do it. Or, or some other legitimate reason not. But ideally... Uh, that uh, it, it is to be, it, it requires immersion in the water. And that's why they're going to go down, down into the water. Is deep enough, verse 37. Now they had canteens. If it was sprinkling, you just could have said, hey, I, I got this water jug here and pour it on my head. Um, well, verse 30. Yeah, I'm offended by people who, who think that they can get away with just making up things about the Bible and then teaching it as though the Bible approves of these things that are actually spoken against, Uh, you know, infant baptism. What is that? You have to believe. If you believe, verse 37, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, at that time, when he makes this statement, at that time in history, that meant that Christ was equal with the Father in his understanding. This is why they called Christ the blasphemer. You you being a man, make yourself equal with God, said the Pharisees. And Christ was like, because I am. And they just, uh, they would not have that. So a condition was placed upon the one who wants to be baptized. If you believe with all your heart, Mark 12, 30, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Infants can't do that. Infants cannot say, I believe. That he is the son of God. And so this this kind of behavior, I don't want to spend any more time why they do it. And, and the bottom line is it's wrong. That's all I need. Uh, this condition, it is restrictive. It's conditional. But it's gloriously inviting. Uh, these are the terms. You take it or you leave it. Yeah, so simple. If you believe. Otherwise, no. Acts chapter 16. The Philippian jailer. After the earthquake and the apostles, the apostle Paul and his uh, assistant Silas, they didn't, they did not flee the jail. And the, the jailer called out and he, he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. Yeah, if they believe. don't. That doesn't mean if you believe your household will be saved. You and your household under these terms. It would be silly. It, it would just be silly to suppose that it meant something otherwise. If you said, uh, jump out of the burning, uh, run out of the burning building and you will be saved, you and your family, it would be silly to say, well, the family, <laughs> they're going to be saved even if they don't come out because they're not going to be saved. I think that made that sense, right? Did you like it? Well, well thumbs up me later. And incidentally, our YouTube page, we got like nine. We get like nine, ten people. <laughs> all right, coming back to this. <laughs> don't, don't laugh, it's your fault. <laughs> they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. The word goes with it. There's no getting away from it. Now, can we just have a Christian concert with music? No, you can't. The word of God. Living and powerful, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul, the spirit, the joints, the word of God's going to mess with your flesh. That's what God wants it to do. Otherwise, who else? Who else is going to do it? Anyway, after you come to the Lord, well, your next step in this age is to find some feel good podcasts to listen to, some deep thinking books that are by really smart people. So you can really learn what the Bible says. And find a church that believes in some of the Bible, if any of it. Sarcasm, sarcasm, sarcasm. Whatever you do as a Christian, don't lose the simplicity of the word. Don't lose it. Keep the faith simple. It does not need improvement. And it is um, just powerful, just as it is. When you came to Christ, having begun in the spirit and now being made in the flesh, when you came to Christ, was it not the simplicity of the message? Was it not, you are dirty before God, he will make you clean, you will be his, go tell somebody else. Well, I mean, does it, can you improve on that? And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Amazing answer. He's, he's saying to Philip, let me be very clear about what I believe And he's saying it. He says he is the Son of God, not was the Son of God. Now, there are those corrupted manuscripts out there that some of you have, and talking about the New Testament only, if you have the NIV, the NASB, the ESV, the NYPD, uh, if you have one of these translations of the New Testament, there's two sources primarily we get our New Testament from. The Alexandrian text from Alexandria, not Virginia, but Egypt. There was a large Gnostic influence there. And then from Antioch, Syria, where we get the majority text and, of course, the Textus Receptus. The one from Syria is the trustworthy one. So the brainiacs come along and they say, well, we know everything and this is what we want you to understand, that the older manuscripts are better. And that's why the NIV and these other ones use it. And that's not true. Only, they were So what? They were older. There's a few of them, a couple of hundred. Because they weren't worth circulating. That's why the other one has thousands of manuscripts and parts of manuscripts where we get the King James, the New King James, and some of the majority text Bibles from. I hope I didn't lose you on this. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because they'll say, Oh, this verse is not in The original, somebody added this. which They they bring nothing but doubt to the word. They did, huh? Well, let's take that verse out, and let's go up to verse 36. Acts chapter 8, verse 36. Then Philip opened his mouth. Wait a minute. No. Where are we? Verse 36, yeah. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water... And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Now skip 37 because, oh, that's not there. Verse 38. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. Wait a minute. He says, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? When does Philip say, answer that question? Because verse 38 is the eunuch commanding the chariot to stop. Philip has no authority to do that. So it doesn't even make sense. There's a part missing. So, on the grounds of logic, on the grounds of the corrupted manuscripts from the Alexandrian source materials, I say this verse is very much a part of it. You can trust it. And all those newer manuscripts that put the little star next to the verse, not in the older manuscripts. Some of your nose at them. They deserve that. Because they, don't do, they do nothing but meddle. Their Johnny-come-latelys, and they bring nothing but doubt. Now, they, won't, they don't withhold the message of salvation, but they inject doubt. And they do this with other verses, too. And then the next thing you know, you've got some Christian that has departed from the simplicity of the faith. And he wants to argue each verse. Well, the johannian calmer. And they've got all these names for this stuff. And somebody needs to think it through. And then when they're done, leave us alone. All right. <clears throat> no. I've heard their arguments. some of these scholars are sharp guys, but they could still be wrong. That's why I don't want to be a sharp guy, so I won't be wrong. <laughs> anyway, the amazing answer. I don't think you guys are catching the humor. I think you're like a beat behind, but uh, you're forgiven. Anyway, verse 38. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now, again, notice they went into the water. Remember that it was the Ethiopian that initiated the request to be baptized. Immersion, it is symbolized in Romans 3. We don't have time to read Romans chapter 3, uh, chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, where Paul says the water baptism symbolizes your death in the flesh and your life in the spirit. Well, what do you do with a dead body? You bury it. And when you come out of the water, bur- immersing, immersing, immersing it, symbolizes uh, the the burial of the old nature, and coming out of the water symbolizes the new life in Christ. That doesn't mean the fight is not on. It just means this preaches to us the work of Jesus Christ in the life of a sinner, and our response to that work, and we're making it known this is where I stand. Verse 39, and when they came out of the water, the Spirit of, of the Lord caught Philip away. So the Eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. So the eunuch goes down the road, yee I am saved, I have the answers, I am a happy eunuch. Not that I trade places, <laughs> but just saying, the gospel did what it's supposed to do. The Greek word translated here, caught, is harpazo. In the Latin, it is raptus. So when Jerome takes the New Testament and translates it into Latin from the Greek, that word, that hapazo, he uses the Latin word raptus, where we get our word rapture. So when the Jehovah Witnesses come, well, they're wearing raptures not in the Bible, they are wrong. They don't understand the movement of language and the fact that is taught. It means to abruptly snatch away. When in, in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. We will be raptured. We will be caught up. It is just like that. Taken. When uh, Jude writes to the church, he says, you see somebody tripped up in sin, snatch them out of it. It is, again, abrupt. Was Philip raptured or or, um, a lateral rapture instead of a vertical? uh, It seems like that's exactly what happened. He ends up in a Zotus. It's like, what just happened? (laughs) Luke kind of just brushes over it, but you can't escape the language uh, and how that word is used. Verse 40, but Philip was found in Azotus. And see, that's the kind of, he was just found there? Did he, I mean, did he walk there? How did he get there? He was raptured. I believe that. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Ashdod is Azotus. The, The Greeks did change the name. To that, the language again, moves. Just like the apostles, when they came up to Samaria, the people were rejoicing. The eunuch is rejoicing. Philip is preaching the word. The apostles, when they left Samaria, they preached their way back to Jerusalem. And Philip is going to that beautiful section of Israel, Caesarea by the Mediterranean Sea. Um, this is uh, just a beautiful story. Well, we're out of time, even though I have more things to say. I do want to mention that a mere good example, a mere good witness is not enough to save a soul. You've got to at some point preach the word. No one's going to look at the stars and come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ dying for them. It takes the word of God. And if they do, they're going to have bullet holes in their beliefs that shouldn't be there. And that's where we come in. Let's pray. Our Father, again and again, without exception, coming to your word ministers to us as nothing else on earth. The word of God is the voice of God. We who believe know it and we love it. But there are others that we are aware of that have not given their lives to you, For many reasons, none of them, none of them worth it. If you've been listening online or here in the church and you've not opened your heart to Christ, why not? What keeps you from having your sins dealt with? Because you know you're a sinner. You know you do wrong. Even if you do not understand that you do wrong to God, you do wrong to people. And there is an accountability for that. And it is at the throne of God. If you would like to have your judgment taken away, you must come to Christ. If you make this prayer with me in earnest, Christ will receive you. You say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I've broken your word, your commandment, and I come to you and I ask you to forgive me. I believe you died on the cross to take the judgment of sinners. I believe you rose again to demonstrate that indeed, you are God the Son. I give my life to you right here, right now, asking you to forgive me, to be my Savior, and asking you to be the master of my life, my Lord. And now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer, may they act on it without shame. When the invitation is given, as we dismissed later, may they uh, be quick to receive the invitation You share with one of the pastors that they've opened their heart to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.